host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and not only is this the first episode of the 2022-2023 season for the Hockey PDO cast, it's also the first episode that'll be streaming live on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And joining me today for this exciting premiere edition of the PDO cast is my good pal Cam Sharon. Cam, what's going on, man? It's uh, we're having a great day today. Uh, for those listening uh, live, Ty France just hit a RBI double. Mariners up six two. This is a hockey show, I know, but we said we're going to limit the Mariners talk on, on this rest. episode of the PDO Cast. Yeah. It's been a long time. I've been off for three months here, so I'm really itching yeah. to get back uh, and talk about it. And obviously, the the NHL regular season is officially starting tonight. Um, you know, we had a couple of yeah. games in Europe uh, over the weekend. I'm going to be honest with you, Dimitri. I did not watch a second of those games, and I think that's totally fine. Yeah. I think you're you're well within your rights to do so. So. Let's tee this thing up for our listeners because we, we've got a lot of material to pack into today's episode. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to list a number of players that we are excited to watch this season. It's not necessarily your traditional kind of breakout uh, piece that people typically do because I feel like then we get really beholden to like the textbook definition of, oh, has this guy already broken out? Is he even qualified for this? So instead, it can be wide-ranging. It can be veterans. It can be young players. It can be players who have already had good seasons in the NHL. Just... A list of names of guys that we're excited. We're going to talk about why we're excited about them, and we're just going to see kind of where that takes us and how many names we can rattle through. So, I'll I'll give you the floor here as uh, as our first guest. Um, give me the first name on your list and the first player that you're really excited to watch this coming season. Uh, on the PDO cast this year, we're probably going to talk a lot about our ducks. Yes, uh, and one of the reasons for this is uh, I love their defense and particularly Jamie Drysdale. I think that Drysdale, he's just a very, he's one of three excellent puck moving uh, right shot defensemen on the Ducks. I think that that gives them, uh, with Shattenkirk and Klingberg, that gives them a good puck mover on every, on every pairing. Hmm. And so with him, what I like is that he's just so quick. He's, he's big. Uh, where, where is he? He's like 6'4, six, 6'5. Six, I, I don't put these into my, uh, Sure. In my scouting so reports, but, but he's, yeah, he's he's you know he's a he's, he's a, a big out. He's a big yeah. lad. Yeah. He's a big he's a big guy. He's he's big and rangy. Uh, he's extremely good at defending. And what I'm really looking forward to is to see whether uh, whether Anaheim opens it up a little bit more. My impression watching the Ducks last year was that Drysdale was kind of limited a little bit. I didn't think that they really gave him the green light to take off offensively, despite how good he was uh, at exiting the zone and entering the zone with control. So I'd like to see them opening up a little bit more, let him move the puck more, let him work in the offensive zone. He's got all the tools for that. Yeah, and we were talking like, I don't know if this is a word, but we're going to go with it. He's got really good recoverability. Uh, He's able to, even if he's deep in the offensive zone and he seems like he's kind of out of position, he's able to get back uh, in a defensive posture and really, um, you know, either all the way like go kind of stride for stride with whoever has the puck and knock it away from them or get back in position and not be a total liability. So I'd love to see them tap into that. I think this team, I think it's fair to say that they're probably still a year or two away from having real aspirations for competing for a playoff spot and actually kind of getting out of this rebuild phase they've been in. But it's hard not to A, like what they've really done, especially since Pat Verbeek took over uh, midway through last season, and also B, kind of the personnel they have in place for 
playing really fun, high-scoring games where they ultimately probably wind up losing, and that's totally fine. They're going to get another high draft pick. But games that are just incredibly watchable with, you know, with Zegris, with Terry, and then with some of those blue liners you mentioned, like they've got enough firepower to really hang with some of the best teams in the league. Yeah, and I, I really like uh, I like the, the, the word recoverability, and it's one of those things that if a defenseman's fast enough, they can take those risks because if they turn it over, they can immediately come and grab the puck back. And I love I love how I love how Drysdale is just so toolsy that he can cover for his own mistakes. And yeah, those young forwards are really going to be helped by the fact that every every pairing is going to have uh, a guy that can help them move the puck forward, break the forecheck, get the play moving the right way. It's uh, it's less on it's less on those forwards to be able to do. Okay, well, I like that. That's a great first pick out of the gate. I'm going to stick with the kind of theme of young toolsy defensemen that we're really excited about here, and I'm going to go with Owen Power. And now I know that we only have kind of a brief eight game cameo of his from last season to really kind of dive into or sink our teeth into from like a tape perspective, what he's capable of. And especially at the end of a season where, you know, you're not playing for the playoffs, you're kind of playing out the string of your season, even though the Sabres were competing really hard. It's tough to know like how much of that we should really even care about. Right. In the case of what I saw from Owen power though, just the instincts that he has and the habits in terms of the way he plays, I think he is like the future of what we want this game to look like. Now, He's a physical freak. He's he's six six. He can move very fluidly. Like I'm not expecting every player to look like that moving forward, but just in terms of the way he plays, I think so often we're, I'm sure you've heard this term like the the positionless hockey, right? Where it's like, oh, we just want to see five forwards out there. Everyone can play the same position, and I think that's that's certainly a bit extreme for right now. But I think that's fine. I think instead we should be more focused on positional interchangeability, which is you have five guys out there. You can still have three forwards and two defensemen. But it doesn't necessarily mean that when you're in the offensive zone, the two defensemen have to be stuck on the point near the blue line and then the forwards are down low. Like, it's okay to to mix and match. We see the Avs do this all the time where Kale McCarr takes the puck and he's skating it behind the net. And that's he's allowed to do that because McKinnon cycles back up to the point and basically kind of plays near the blue line and he loves to shoot from there as well. And so Owen Power, what we saw in those eight games is he has incredible instincts in terms of reading where the play is going. He's very comfortable playing deep in the offensive zone. I think I saw in those eight games him hanging around the other team's net more more, more times than you see for 82 games for a regular defenseman. Like, he was so aggressive last year. And then he had that recoverability as well to get back with his skating and break players up defensively. And so I'm going to be watching a lot of Sabres hockey this year because I think, like, along with him, Rasmus Dahlin, uh, you know, Alex Tuck, obviously, Dylan Cousins, uh, Jack Quinn is make, making the team. Like, I think there's a lot to watch there. But I think Owen Power is the player that I think, you know, has the most potential and has legitimate Rookie of the Year uh, considerations. Yeah, so the one the one thing I'm worried about with power, though, is uh, is just the Buffalo power play. Mm. And I want to pose a question to you. I was going to ask you before we went on, but okay. uh, th- this is a situation where I think Buffalo should be using three forwards and two defensemen on the power play, the way that you talk about power. He should be their net front guy. He could be the net front guy. He could be the bumper guy. He could yeah. be kind of the that in that in zone rover. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like that. I like how when you talk about positionless player, yeah, take it from the player, take it from the position that plays twenty five minutes a night. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't know if they're they're even considering that or if they would do that, but I'd certainly be open to it because I think he's more than capable of doing so. Yeah, and I was very unimpressed by their power play last year. Uh, two pretty bad units, and they're beginning this year with. Uh, Darlene is going to be at the point. Tuck, Tage Thompson, Jeff Skinner, Casey Middlestat. I don't love the personnel. 
I like it a lot better if Owen Power is there instead of maybe Middlestat. But we'll uh, we'll get into that mid-season probably. Well, well yeah, I, I think, you know, just to kind of follow up on, on some of the stuff I was saying with Power, you almost when you watch him play, you need to retrain your eyes because we're, we're so used to as, as as hockey fans just kind of seeing like, all right, a defenseman is kind of supposed to be here and then a forward's supposed to be there. And with him, like there was this play against the Flyers late in the season where he jumped in on the rush and he basically kind of beelined straight to the net and then the play didn't manifest in terms of a, a rough a rush goal and most defensemen if they kind of partook in that first play they'd realize that they were out of position and quickly regardless of who had the puck they'd be like oh oh i need to sprint back and be in a better defensive position and instead with him he sort of patiently circled around the net went back door and was going to have an easy tap in goal if he didn't draw a penalty because the opposing defenseman was like oh he's wide open there I gotta I gotta hook him and so just seeing stuff like that seeing his willingness to play like that it's so cool to see a young defenseman step into the game now what I will say there were a few times where you know there'd be an open lane and he would just drive and he'd be wide open and one of his teammates would basically not pass to him and I think it was purely because they they similarly need to retrain their eyes they weren't expecting an offenseman to kind of be popping up in that space and so they, they'd either miss it or uh, they wouldn't cover for him when he was down low and so I think that stuff you know over time a you know he jumped right in from his college season last year and played out the, the string of the NHL campaign so they finally had a full preseason and training camp and preseason games to iron that out and b if the Sabres do kind of take that step in terms of infusing their lineup with all this talent that they've drafted they're going to have players like a jack quinn can probably see the game the same way owen power doesn't be like okay i can expect him to go over there as opposed to if you have like kind of a you know a veteran third line grinder they might not be thinking along those same same lines as him so i'm curious to see if that kind of gels itself out throughout the year yeah one thing i really like doing when i'm when i'm doing amateur scouting you're looking at players from lower leagues is are they doing things that are just so beyond the skill level of their of their average teammate and that, that, that's usually a good indicator that the guy's ready for the next level. So if we're seeing that from a guy in the NHL, that's a good sign for him going forward. But you're right. He's going to need to, he's going to need those teammates around him. Yeah. I don't. And like Anaheim, I think that Buffalo is still a year away from being a year away. Well, now here's one final wrinkle that I want to add on power before we move on to our next guy. Okay. Uh, one thing I really love when NHL coaches experiment with this is manufacturing uh, offensive deployment for their skilled players. And in those eight games, we saw uh, we saw Don Granato, who I think is a really good coach, uh, experiment with putting Power and Darlene out at 5-on-5 five five together for offensive zone draws where, you know, he felt like they could manufacture a potential scoring chance or a goal. And we only saw for about 10 minutes or so. It was basically, you know, purely just for offensive zone draws. He wasn't throwing them out there uh, otherwise. And the result was awesome. And I love when teams kind of you know push the envelope in that regard and actually try to get their best players even though they're not typically paired up together I love when teams do that I used to love when the stars would do that with Klingberg and Heiskanen uh, I love when teams experiment with that and so I think we're going to see that as well because you're saying the Sabres are a year away from being a year away well yeah. they have nothing to lose this year why not experiment and see if those guys can make magic happen together in the offensive zone and if that is the case I want to be watching yeah, and exactly, and and even beyond that, but some four forward one D combinations. You can do that with both Dalene and Power. Both have the offensive ability, I think. But in uh, you told me to watch some of Power's games, and I did, and I was very impressed, uh, especially with how he moves around the offensive zone. Already it's, one of the best guys at pinching in the league, which yeah. is uh, I yeah. think a real skill because you kind of have to anticipate 
yeah. where you need to go. Otherwise, you can get stuck along the boards and all of a sudden be out of position. Uh, Cam, give me your next next guy on your list in terms of players you're excited to watch. I'm going to stay on defense. I'm going to stay uh, guys with a good pinching ability and uh, for our listeners in Calgary, too. Oh, um, there we go. Talking, Look at uh, that, a little local, local, local programming. Yeah, talking about uh, Mackenzie Wegar, uh, who they picked up in the in the – in the Kachuk trade from mm-hmm. Florida, I've, I've really liked. In Uyghur. Calgary, we call that the Huberto trade, but yeah. Well, I, yeah, I was trying. I was trying to think for a second. Uh, it's 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 been a long summer. I was thinking of who who went what direction. Yeah, uh, Uyghur, I, I I've really liked him. He's a uh, he's not only a very strong defense. He's not only a very strong defenseman uh, when defending the, when protecting his blue line. If you look at Corey Schneider's all three zones data, you find that he's defending the zone a lot. He's He's turning over the puck. He's basically forcing the opponent to shoot the puck in, mm-hmm. if unless he's yep. forcing a turnover at the blue line on his own. And that's a very valuable skill for a defenseman. Another thing that Wegar does is, if a forward's able to get the zone against him, he can still poke check the puck away. He's he's got a very good stick inside the defensive zone. I love I love just watching offensive plays go to die on his side of the ice, and I think. Uh, um, sorry, did you have something to say here? No, I was going to yeah. say, like, I, he for some reason he's turned into this mm-hmm. polarizing player yeah. because, one, his mistakes have been very notable, mm-hmm. kind of back-breaking moments in the playoffs. And, two, now that he's been traded, mm-hmm. a lot of the pushback has been, well, of course, like, he was good on this Panthers team where yeah. everyone that played for them in this high-octane system, they were, they were kind of using the past two years, their numbers exploded, and he was playing most of his minutes with Aaron Ekblad. Yeah. And it's very easy to poke holes in that, like, we saw him play 350 minutes without Ekblad when he was hurt the past two years doing so with Gustav Forsling or whoever else was paired with him, mm-hmm. his numbers did not deteriorate at all. Yeah, and, and if you look at the if you look at the all three in the zones data and you look at those those good strong entry defenders, a lot of the ones in the same quadrant as the same ability, they're playing against third, fourth liners all yes. the time. So he's he's basically making your top line players look like third liners well, on he, a regular basis. And like I don't know, is it fair to say that he's stepping into an ideal situation for that skill set? Because yeah. what Daryl Sutter wants from his mm-hmm. defenseman Mm-hmm. is to aggressively turn the puck over so that they can tilt yeah. the ice and get back playing that downhill style where they control the possession. He doesn't want his guys to be chasing around a defensive zone and wasting time, right? Like that's valuable real estate for them to be having the puck basically going north-south. So what Uyghur's going to do is he's going to step up very aggressively, maintain that gap, mm-hmm. force the team to either dump the puck in or turn it over himself. And have one of the best defensive defensemen covering for him in case he over Exactly. Shoots. And so all of a sudden when you have a pairing of him and Chris Tanev, not only does that take pressure off of Rasmus Sanderson and Noah Hannafin, who mm-hmm. based on their performance against McDavid in the playoffs when Tanev was hurt, I think they could certainly use a bit of that mm-hmm. pressure relief. It gives them one of the best rush defenders paired with one of the best end zone defenders. And the way Calgary plays also is... They're very tight-knit in terms of their breakouts. So they have a lot of kind of short outlets for their defensemen to pass the puck out to as well. So I think that's going to help Uyghur in terms of when he's being pressured when he goes back to play the puck because all of a sudden he's not going to have to make these home run plays as often or he's not going to have to do as much himself, assuming he's at this point of his career willing to kind of readjust. It could also limit the, the number of those back-breaking mistakes he makes if he has much more simple plays where he can kind of kick it off to his to his winger and let him kind of get out of the zone as opposed to trying to do something crazy that turns over the puck yeah and so one of the one of the things you were talking about on one of on an old episode with with thomas Strance after the trade was uh if if the flames were able to extend him before the season and limit the pressure he's under yeah and so they did that they gave him an eight million or an eight-year deal 
uh, a little over six million, mm-hmm. and so he's kind of he's beyond that pressure now. So he can he can just play hockey, do what he wants to do, and yeah, a staple of Daryl Sutter teams is both those short breakout passes and also winning a lot of battles in the neutral zone and just making sure that the puck is always being shot into the other end of the ice. And Wegar helps you do both things. And yeah, those those two mistakes in the playoffs, we're looking at uh, that the, the turnover against Washington that led to an Evgeny Kuznetsov breakaway goal. Mm-hmm. There was no Panther within 40 feet of him yep. when he when he gave up the puck there. Yep. And then there was another turnover that led to a blown coverage that led to Ross Colton scoring with under a second to go in game two against Tampa Bay. And same sort of thing. When he had the puck at the blue line, he's on the far right side and he's looking at no one close to him. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden you move it. Yeah. It's come back the other way. And now you have to think you're tired. You're at the end of the shift. I got to protect. Yeah. It's, it's harder to do. So having that support is yeah key for a guy like Oh, Baker. they're going to be able to insulate him yeah. kind of, cover up all of his weaknesses and mm-hmm. really just focus on his strengths and I think he's going to be awesome in Calgary. Yeah. Um okay, I'll do one more here before we uh before we take a quick break. Jack Hughes. And this one's cheating a bit because because I think, this is your second first overall pick. Well, yeah. I mean, those guys tend to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you could argue he already broke out last season, mm-hmm. right? Like he already sort of realized some of that potential we were waiting to see from him early in his yeah. career and, and answered a lot of the questions people might have still had. Um but that's why we're not doing breakouts anymore because we're just doing most exciting players. Mm -hmm. And I, as, as excited as people might be about him already, I think collectively we haven't caught on to it enough. Like, I don't think we've been talking nearly enough about how good he was last year when he was fully healthy. And that's because he got hurt in like the second game of the season or whatever. And then he missed a bunch of time. He came back. He clearly wasn't fully himself yet. Then there was a Christmas break. Then he had 35 games, which were about as good as, anyone on this planet played in that time and then he got hurt again near the end of the regular season and so this amazing stretch of games he played was kind of sandwiched by injuries and he was playing on a devil's team that once again had a lost season and didn't live up to expectations and wound up getting a high pick and so I think it's getting overshadowed a little bit but what I'm going to say is in those 35 games that I watched he was playing at such a high level like he had 21 goals 27 assists but that almost doesn't even do justice to how in command of the game he was and how we saw him answer all of those questions, right? Like when he came out, it was, okay, well, you know, he, he, his physique, he's not going to be strong enough to play against grown men. Well, he looked perfectly fine protecting the puck and dancing around the neutral zone and the offensive zone and doing whatever he wanted with it against whoever he was playing against. Okay. Well, you know, his shot is weak. He can't beat goalies one-on-one at this level. Well, he started shooting significantly more and he started scoring on those shots significantly more. And, the shooting percentage might be slightly inflated last year. Like I'm not expecting him to be a 16% shooter or whatever, but it might be within his range of outcomes because he's an extremely talented player. So I don't see why he couldn't beat goalies cleanly on a consistent basis. And so if you're telling me he's always going to have the puck on his stick and he's going to be able to beat you with his pass and his shot now all of a sudden, I don't want to get crazy talking about like, you know, Art Ross potential here because Connor McDavid is still in the league and I think betting on anyone other than him to to win the points title is probably just burning money at this point but I think last I checked the books had he was like 80 to 1 or something and he was like 20th on the list of 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 favorites and I think it is well within his range of outcomes this season to just explode for 120 points if everything goes well and he stays healthy it wouldn't surprise me and it's an interesting thing you talk about his shot and yeah you mentioned you know 
6% shooting his first year, 8% his second year, and then breaks out 16%. We always look at these players as, you know, they're one or two years in the league. They're not finished products. If a player like Hughes has been so good at every other aspect of the game, he knows what his weakness is. Hmm. And someone who's really, someone who's, someone with that level of talent also knows where he can also improve on. And he and I and there was there was never any issue with me watching him. I never thought, oh, this guy shoots muffins. Hmm. It was a it was a good release. Uh, in the first year or two, though, there were some there were some ones where you were kind of squib it towards the net. I I think he definitely needed to get stronger and work on a shot, and he certainly did. Yeah, I I, I I just don't think I ever really saw one where where he's like right where where he's really like struggling to lift it in the yeah, air. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's also like he was a, like yeah. a twenty year old undersized guy to begin with. Like, of course, it's going to take time for him yeah. to to get to where he needs to be physically. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's any rush to, to yeah. do that, and he already has. So. Yeah. And, it, and it was when I was watching him in his in his sophomore season, I just figured that that was – he had everything going for him except the shot. I I agree with you. I love, I've love i loved watching Jack Hughes uh, through those through every year he's played. Well, It's just once he got that shot down. And the amazing thing is for as good as he was, the Devils were outscored with him yeah. on the ice at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah which is hilarious. Um, the Devils goalies stopped 87.6% of the shots they faced with him out there. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, the, the Kraken were probably what they got out of their goalies was probably 32nd. I think what the Devils got out of their goalies, though, was was right up there in team, terms of league worst. Like, they used seven different goalies. Um, they gave up over 60 more goals against than expected, I believe, based on uh, some of the data. Like, it's just... I'm expecting a better infrastructure around him based on the players they added this off season. And with his own individual talent, now that they brought in a guy like Palat who can all of a sudden do some of the dirty work and win the battles and forge, can get him the puck more often. It's going to take a lot of that other pressure and allow him to just kind of just focus on being an incredibly gifted offensive player who can create a goal out of, out of nothing. And that's what we saw last year. And I want him to kind of keep building on that. So I, I think there's really a lot of reason to expect him to take as big of a leap as he took last year, follow that up again this year and really get into the conversation as like one of the best offensive weapons we have in the game. Yeah, and I think mention, you mentioned Palat. That's when I when New Jersey announced that signing, I called it inspired. I thought one of the issues with the Devils last year, obviously their goaltending was a big one, but their offense, as good as it was, as fun as it was to watch, was very one dimensional. A lot of just end of a lot of trying to com, uh, create off the rush. Yeah. And you need to be able to create in many different ways. Uh, I think two of the best offenses in the league, Tampa Bay and Toronto, very forecheck heavy. Yeah. And Palat brings that experience, being able to do that with skilled players in Tampa Bay, playing in those on those top roles, playing sorry, playing in that top line yeah. with with those players, get the puck to skill guys, dig it in the corners. Well, and you mentioned Corey Schneider's data earlier. Mm-hmm. I believe he had. I think the Avs and the and the Panthers were the top two teams in terms of creating off the rush last mm-hmm. year. The Devils were third yeah. behind those teams. Now, those team teams were also really good at creating everywhere, including off the cycle and off yeah. the forecheck. And I believe the Devils were 21st or something last I checked on, on Corey Schneider's yeah. tracking. And so if they can improve that to be above league average as well, which is there's no reason they shouldn't be able to based on the players they have, they can all of a sudden beat you in different ways and kind of play more of that traditional uh, competitive playoff hockey against best teams that yeah. we expect rather than just being kind of this run and gun back and forth team that can only beat you in one isolated way. Yeah. And improving the defense. I liked their addition of John Marino of as well. That's, yeah. I think that they are they're, They kind of have a really competent top four. I don't know if they're 
if it's great like puck moving but it should be enough to to, to hold down the fort defensively i really like uh jonas siegenthaler yeah uh damon severson can move it a little bit dougie hamilton's still around yeah but yeah they, they need to they they just really need to lock it down make their hockey make their games look a little bit more like professional hockey and less like shinny yeah, and they did, they did a good job. I mean, not that it was particularly difficult based on how obvious their deficiencies were last year, but at least they did a good job of identifying that they kind of needed to diversify their players mm. and went after guys who could kind of conceivably fill that without necessarily like panicking and just getting kind of meat and potatoes guys purely. Like guys like John Marino yeah. and Andre Palat are just good hockey players who yeah. can contribute in different ways. I mean, they went after Andre Palat after losing out on Johnny Gaudreau, but... Yeah, it would have been interesting to see them just double down on that and just yeah. go with Goodrow and, and Hughes might have been a bit of an over, overkill in terms of uh, what those guys, how they want to attack you, but yeah. whatever. Um, all right, Cam, we're going to take a little, little break here uh, and carry on with the rest of our list after this. You are listening to the Hockey PDO cast with Dimitri Filipovich. We're back with the Hockey PDO cast here with Dmitry Filipovich and Cam Sharon on the, on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Cam, we're doing players we're excited to watch this season. We've already done Owen Power, Jack Hughes, Mackenzie Wiegar, Mackenzie Wiegar, Jamie Drysdale. That's Who's the next person on your list? I have Miro Heiskanen uh, yes. from the Dallas Stars. And Dallas was a very difficult team to watch last season. They have made a coaching change. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping beyond hope that they open it up a little bit more. We need to let Miro cook. Mm-hmm. And unironically, yeah. unlike when we say we need to let Russ cook, yeah. and then we've seen him cook yeah. cafeteria meals this season, basically, we need to let Miro actually play to his strengths. Now, I think he's been in the league for four years. We've already seen him play at, at you know, pretty much a Norris caliber level. Like I really thought like if I had a battle last year, I would have had him maybe fourth or fifth on my list. He was that good. But it feels like for a player who clearly like his skating is amongst the best in the league in terms of just how fluid his stride is, how much ground he can cover and how much skill he clearly has. And we see flashes of it. He hasn't really been allowed to Cook. show that beyond like small flashes here or there because that's just not how the stars have played instead he's almost kind of had to babysit defensively like it's bonkers to me that throughout the, his career so far he's pretty much exclusively played either with like well below average defense partners or even having to play on his on his weak side because he's so good that he can do so and they don't have anyone anyone else so now it looks like they're actually kind of finally bumping him to the left it seems like they're going to play him with Colin Miller to start the season and actually play him on his natural strong side and I think there's reason to hope like I don't I wouldn't necessarily call Pete DeBurr an offensive savant by any means but compared to Rick Bonus, like at least we've seen him in his previous stops in San Jose and in Vegas where he had Brent Burns Eric Carlson then Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo he like geared their offense and funneled it through them and allowed them to kind of dictate what they were going to do, be involved, activate whenever they wanted to. And so I am so hopeful that that's what's going to happen here with Heiskanen. We've been burned for long enough now, but I think this is the year where we finally just see the full potential of what he's capable of. So this is this could be a larger thing about what what we need to what we need out of the Dallas Stars just as remember remember like 8 years ago eight ten years ago the stars were one of the best teams to watch they had they were all offense they had no defense yes under lindy ruff of course yeah so 
They scored 238 goals last year. That was by far the lowest total for any playoff team. They really didn't make any offensive improvements in over the offseason. No. So Mason Marchment ain't it. As as fun as Mason Marchment can be when he's really going, yeah. I don't think that he's a, a guy you can plug in and expect to score 30 goals and no, cover that gap. No, but we have seen him capable of playing with right. pace if he's surrounded by right. players but, who push but, the pace. But my point is, is that for Dallas to improve offensively, which they have to do, they're going to have to open it up. Yeah. They're going to have to, as you say, let Miro cook. Mm. So they were a one-line team last year. It's a very good line. Rupe Hintz centering Jason Robertson and Joe Pavelski. And here's some, want to hear some statistics? Always. All right. So the Stars goals four for 60 minutes at five on five with their top line and Miro Heiskanen on the ice. Yeah. 4.6. Now, NHL average is about 2.3. Yeah. So they're scoring twice more than the NHL average. That's with, good. With Heiskanen and their first line on the ice together. And they had 61% Corsi. Yeah. With none of those players on the ice, they scored 1.6 goals per 60 minutes. Yeah. 46%. And pretty much every team is going to be a lot worse without anyone from their of course yeah, from their yeah. top line, top pair. But the Stars just had absolutely nothing beyond that. So what we need is them to open it up when Miro's on the ice and the top line isn't, and we need a bit more scoring depth. Well, we also saw there was no there was no one more extreme in terms of parking the bus. Mm-hmm. Than the stars last year, like if they went yeah. up, it was like we are just going to lock it down and absolutely not try anything whatsoever. Well, there was a more extreme example: the stars in the twenty no, twenty one no, season. But, but I mean, like it, it, the lack of offensive ambition from that team, like yeah. they were literally trying to do the absolute bare minimum mm-hmm. to squeak by. Yeah, right. And not that they have this amazing roster, but listen, like Heiskanen, Jason Robertson, Rupe Hints, yeah. like even Joe Pavelski still wrote, like they, yeah. like they have players that are good enough to play in a different different kind of stylistic format, right? And they just had no experimentation to that beyond, like, those guys would be so good yeah. that they'd almost break, have to break free yeah. from the system just because they were capable of, but... Trying their best to win every game 2-1, to one, yeah. keep it 1-1 one, one on evens, and then maybe score a goal on the power play. And we saw in, like, in the first round of the series, especially in that game seven against the Flames, mm-hmm. like, because of the urgency of the moment, you could see Heiskanen was like, you know what? Forget the system. Yeah. I'm just going to start freelancing and just carrying the puck up the ice and trying to create myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want this all the time. Yeah. Like, not, not that it's realistic to expect game seven of a playoff series level intensity mm-hmm. for all 82, but just that mindset of pushing the pace and trying to attack constantly. And so I'd like to hope that that's what we're going to see for this year from your Heisken in. They're going to let him cook. And I think that's a great pick. Great yep. pick by you. Um, well, thank you, Tim. All right. Let's do the next guy on my list then. Let's do Elias Patterson. Oh, let's let's uh let, let's talk a little bit about him. I, I was just on with uh with our pal Thomas Drance before this, and and we were kind of hinting at it a little bit. Um, you know, there was understandably a lot of angst with Pedersen's performance at the start of last year. He was starting this mega contract that he had just signed. Um, I believe through the first twenty five games, Luke Shen had twice as many five on five points as Pedersen did, even though Pedersen had played in all those games. Um, you know, there was clearly a lot of issues in terms of the coaching, the way they were trying to play. I think a much more realistic explanation of what went into his performance, though, was that he was pretty clearly getting back to full health with his wrist after having spent pretty much the entire offseason just trying to get healthy and not being able to do his like regular training and getting gearing up for the season. And the player that I saw in the first half compared to the second half in terms of his willingness to fire how his shot looked 
and how often it was going in was night and day. And it was much more in line with the player we'd seen and kind of grown to love in his first two years. And so if you're telling me that you're going to have that version of Elias Pettersson all season on a power play that I expect to be absolutely deadly, mm-hmm. that's going to lead to a lot of goals. And I'm going to be really excited because when Patterson is kind of just hammering it from that right circle, like it's a, it's a thing of beauty. He can beat any goalie cleanly, bar down, no problem about it. And we saw him do that with increasing frequency last year as the season went along. And so I'm hopeful that that's the version of the player we're going to see for the entirety of this year. So when was the last time that he was healthy to start it, like to start a year? I think, because I remember at some point, I think it was during the the 2021 season, he just kind of, he didn't show up in the starting lineup. Hmm. And then he was just missing for a three or four week stretch. Well, I mean, the player that we saw like in those bubble playoffs is the player that... That's the one I want. That's the player that I have in my mind and the player that I want to see him channel and be, and I think he's capable of. Yeah. And I think it's a pretty clear, I don't think it was like a motivation thing or, or a coaching or a contract thing. I think he was not healthy mm-hmm. enough. And then now he is, yeah. and hopefully that'll continue. And I don't know, do you want to like kind of pivot and talk about this power play a little bit? Because yes. I know it's one that you've been fascinated with quite a bit. Yeah. And just kind of sort of the, the philosophy of sort of how you want to, how you'd ideally want to structure your power play. Because I think we're we're getting past that point of, all right, well, you have the one go-to guy and you just kind of try to funnel everything through him and make it incredibly predictable, it can look good when it when it works, but if the other team knows it's coming, it's probably not the ideal strategy. I have one of my pet peeves is when Alex Ovechkin scores a goal on the power play. There's a lot of talk on Twitter or wherever. Why did you let Alex Ovechkin take that shot? And one of the reasons why, why I hate seeing that so much is because the Capitals are really inefficient because they try and roll everything through Ovechkin. The Canucks are a lot different. They use they set up a similar shot. Uh, it's on the other side of the ice. It's Hughes to Pedersen as opposed to Carlson to Ovechkin. But while Ovechkin only takes that shot, thirty six like thirty six percent of capital shots are Ovechkin's. That's by far the highest shot share. Yeah. With the Canucks, it was only twenty six percent. So it's a mu- it's a much bigger difference, and that that it's it's taken enough that can be effective, but it can also be used as a decoy. So, yeah. so what that does is that opens up this ability for the three guys on the other side, JT Miller, Bo Horvat, and it was Brock Besser. I think I was hearing earlier that Connor Garland is moving into that spot at the start of the season. I, I, think, I think Drancer is trying to make that happen, yeah. Well, I would love that because it's, that's the exact kind of person you want in front of the net, just a, a small guy that can get to rebounds quickly and score. So the Canucks have two different power plays working. They're setting up three different shots. Mm. And they're all very effective shots. And when the other team has one less skater out there, chances mm-hmm. are, like, yeah. it really is pick your poison. Eventually, you're going to get it to someone who's open if you yeah. are, are that confident in all of those guys being an actual weapon as opposed to just kind of just standing there. Yeah, and, and which way do you cheat towards? Right. You have, you, have five, you have five legitimate scoring threats on the ice. Even like even Hughes can, can, can take a slap shot. I, it's not ideal, but thankfully the Canucks don't have to do it often. Yeah. Well, let me give you, to, to, to finish this point on, on Pedersen, first mm-hmm. 37 games last year, mm-hmm. six goals, 79 shots on net, 33 mm-hmm. high danger chances. Final 43 games, so basically splitting it right down the middle, mm-hmm. a bit extra in the second half. 26 goals in the final 37, uh, 43 games, 113 shots on net, 49 high danger chances. And I went back and watched all of those goals. I would say about like 17 or 18 of them were like the classic Elias Pedersen one. He's at his best, just gets the puck. It's one-on-one versus the goalie from a fair distance. Yeah. 
and just picking his spot in the net and beating him cleanly. Yeah. And so that would inspire a lot of confidence that, that he's back and this is what he's going to do. And so I'm really excited to see mm-hmm. how many goals he's capable of scoring now that he is healthy. Yeah, and it's it's very key to the Canucks and any playoff aspirations they may have. And yeah, as you mentioned, he's he's not only a guy that can beat a goalie from distance, but he can beat a goalie from distance through defense through defender. Yeah. He doesn't have to get around that that last man to create a good chance for himself. Okay, so give me your last your last player here. That's uh, one of Cam's guys. We're going to leave the highway from Vancouver mm. and take Highway ninety nine. All right, down to the Interstate five. Okay, and we're going to talk about Matty Beniers from okay. the Seattle Kraken. Yep. So you have a few notes about the Kraken here. They, their goaltending was a big issue last year. Yeah, the we know biggest that. issue, I think. It was yeah. the biggest issue, but they weren't a great offensive team no. either. You have them at 20th in scoring. 28th in goals, 27th in shooting percentage, yeah. So they've, they've upgraded a little bit considering, like based on where they were at last trade deadline, they've added Beniers, who came up from college. Mm-hmm. They added... Oliver Bjorkstrand via trade. They had yeah. Andre Burakovsky for signing, yeah. via signing. And like we mentioned with Andre Palat and the Devils, uh, inspired signing. I think that those are very inspired choices. I think mm-hmm. that, that that makes the Kraken a lot more diversified in their attack as well. What I love about Beniers is his release is outstanding. He was... He scored 20 goals in the NCAA last year. He was third. That was third among junior age players. But just the type of goal that went in. Mm-hmm. He's not He's not getting in close and whacking at it. Right. He's beating goalies from clean from distance. Yeah. His the puck jumps off his stick so fast. And we saw it in the preseason as well. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, over the couple of lines, like when he hammers the puck like yeah. It's an NHL level shot. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he was doing it at the end of the last season. He scored three goals in his, uh, I think it was seven or eight games, mm-hmm. and he worked. It worked really well. They were on a power. He was on a power play with Jared McCann, and they were just playing off each other. Uh, McCann being able to take the shots on the left side and Beniers on the right, and they haven't been doing that in the preseason. I think they will eventually go back to it, um, but Beniers is playing with McCann at five on five in the preseason. Uh, they're also with Burkowski, and I think Burkowski, like Palat, is one of those guys that can dig for pucks, hmm. uh, set up the skill players, and preseason is what it is. Yeah, I don't love talking about it, but absent a big sample size of NHL, yeah, that's all we have to go off. Right this now. is really yes. what we have to go yeah. off. Uh, that team out that line outshot their opponents twenty-two to seven in twenty-one and a half minutes together, hmm. outscored them two nothing. Uh, I don't think that that's as important, but. They were controlling play yeah. uh, when they were together. And I like, I love the potential of that power play uh, If once they get Beniers moving up onto the top unit. and Well, listen, like we, similar to what we said with the Devils, I think it's a very key trait for any team is being able to critically evaluate your own limitations mm-hmm. and then act upon them, right? And the goaltending was not good enough, regardless of how many goals they scored. Mm-hmm. Now, Considering the investment they made in Philip Grubauer, they kind of have no choice at this point other than to just hope he reverts back to some league average level. Like he's clearly not going to be, uh, you know, Vesna level numbers that he was in his last season in, in Colorado. I don't think anyone's expecting that. Mm-hmm. As long as he's not literally the 32nd ranked starting goalie, I think 
that'll be okay. Like it'll it'll be an upgrade for them. And so they kind of have to ride that out. Their offense was just as bad. And they actually went and targeted guys who are shot makers. Yeah. Right? Like Bjorkstrand and Burakovsky do it in different ways, but they're both above average finishers who get to dangerous areas. Yeah. And that's something that this team needed because, and we'll see, it might still be the case because Dave Haxtell is our coach, but there might be a lot of point shots and those are suboptimal efficiency shots. And if they funnel their entire offense through that, then it might not matter. But at least they have options now of guys who can get the puck into premium real estate and score from there, which is what, besides McCann, they didn't really have that for much of last season. And so now that they have different weapons and different ways they can kind of allocate those resources, um, I'm not expecting them to suddenly jump up to top five or top 10, but I wouldn't expect them to be 27th or 28th in shooting percentage like they were this past season. And even a guy like McCann, I think he had a strong season last year, but he was never really much more of a third liner anywhere else he's been those were good teams he was on pittsburgh and florida no i'm just talking purely in terms of like yeah. his shot yeah he's like oh, one yeah. of the few like guys yeah. who can just consistently beat a goalie yeah. that they had and now yeah. they have different options yeah so now their 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 top six itself just looks like a much more you know it looks more like a hockey team yeah and i think uh i think that one of the reasons screwbauer struggled had a lot to do with their defense um well uh yeah, he wasn't in Colorado anymore. Yeah, so we're, 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 that's going to have to be cleaned up right. quite a bit. I don't, I still don't like their goaltending. I don't like their defensive group, but their forward should be fun to watch. Yeah, they made strides. Yeah, and that's all you can really ask yeah. for in year two. Um, okay, my final player mm-hmm. that I'm excited to watch this season, Matt Boldy. Mm-hmm. So we got a sample of him last year. When he got called up to the Wild, it's pretty clear that he totally changed. Minnesota's look, right? They had that combination of Kaprizov, Zuccarello, and Hartman riding shotgun with them. And that was one of the best top lines in the league. And Kevin Fiala was really struggling for those first couple months. And then they called up Boldy in January, I believe. Mm-hmm. And those two clicked instantly. And they had great chemistry and they really fed off each other. And they played like their stylistic strengths really complemented each other. Now, Fiala's not there anymore this season. So I think. It's going to take an adjustment, and it might be a bit more of an uphill battle for Boldy to replicate that success. But what I saw from him in terms of playing style had me so excited about this player because it's rare that you see a a young player step into the league and immediately have as refined a game as he did in terms of his board battles, in terms of how good he was in the forecheck, in terms of how good he was at protecting the puck, even though he's still pretty kind of lanky and, and young and clearly put on more more weight and, and more muscle and more strength uh, as the years go on. And so he already had all these details to his game that I really liked. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how he expands on that, um, you know, how they use him. There's Now that Fiala's not there, on the one hand, he doesn't have that kind of elite running mate anymore on that second line, but there's also that creates opportunity, right? Like they have young players that can potentially step in and seize that role and that's what they're banking on. And so I think people were initially expecting Minnesota to really take a step back this season because they viewed these buyout windows that were coming up in terms of like 15% of their cap is tied up on, on Parise and, and Suter's contracts. And so they were like, I don't know how this team's going to be able to compete and keep all these players. And they had to, they had to cut costs uh, in terms of letting Fiala go I'm pretty high on them heading into this season. I think most projected models have them in the hundreds in terms of points, kind of right on the heels of the Avs for second place in the Central. And and I think that's right. Like, I think they're not really going to miss that much of a beat. And a lot of that is going to rely on Boldy replicating the success he had in the final, whatever, 40 games or so last year. Yeah, and 
you need they needed young efficient players to come up and so they're they're playing with a lower cap than everyone else so you're looking at boldy you're looking at marco rossi yep. who's going to make the team out of camp uh Connor Duar and Brandon Duhame are both off their entry level deals, but they're still they can lock down that that fourth line, which is good for guys like Rossi who aren't going to have to worry about where they fit on the team. They can come up and they can play in that top line, and there's a lot of easy minutes in that top line in that top nine. Really, you can play with Eriksson Ek, Greenway, and Feligno, any other combination of that, and you're on a group that group is going to be defensively responsible. You can play with Kirill Kaprizov, who's one of the top playmakers in the NHL. Yeah. Well, uh, so one of the top scorers I don't as think well. Gonna, I think they're going to keep that Kaprizov-Zuccarello-Hartman yeah. yeah. combination together. But, it, but in, in case of injury, right? Right, right, like, of course. Yeah, it's good that like you can, you, can, you can put these guys wherever, and and you're not going to be in trouble. Yeah. And I think that just the... It's it's amazing the amount of depth that team is able to have, despite having a cap number that's $10 million less than yeah. other teams. Yeah, I know this isn't like the most exciting thing to say mm-hmm. but it's like the thing i love about boldy yeah. is he's able to grind out possessions yeah. already and beat you in like very boring ways uh like he's he's got so much skill and he can you know in space he can mm-hmm. dangle around you and, and score highlight real goals which we saw from him last year but already as a young player he's able to get the puck off the wall and make a play he's able to you know kind of pursue it and wreak havoc on an opposing defenseman and and keep the other team pinned in their own zone and those aren't ten- qualities you typically associate with a first-year player. Like, a lot of young guys yeah. come into the league and it they want to play that shinny, right? Like, they want to play yeah. back and forth, run and gun. They're used to playing in space. They're coming from a, li- uh, a level of hockey that probably wasn't... They were the best player and no one could really, you know, yeah. compete with them. So they were used to just doing whatever they wanted. And you come to the NHL and it's a, you know, a quick wake-up call that you got to be able to be effective in different ways. And for him to just immediately seamlessly do that out of the gate should inspire a lot of confidence. Yeah, so I watched a fair bit of Minnesota Wild games recently. I was doing a piece for The Athletic, um, and I, I was very impressed by Boldy. Uh, in what you mentioned, both very good uh, very good working with Fiala in the offensive zone, but you know, I came into the studio today, and you showed me this clip of him. He he lost the puck to Tyler Bozak. This is a game against St. Louis. He lost the puck to Tyler Bozak. Immediately kicked the, kicked the puck off Bozak's stick to himself. Yeah. Took, it behind, took it behind the net. Uh, made a move around. Uh, well, Bozak passed him yeah. off to Letty. Yeah. He beat Bozak. Yeah. Beat Letty again as well. Yeah. yeah, and then he he Took did it. He did it though with a really nifty move, like in w- without a, without a, any space, like right yeah. up against the boards. And yeah, it's 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 fun that we you know we talk about those you know the shinny players, and that works in the regular season to an extent. And one thing I've learned is that when you get into the playoffs, you need to create offense in an entirely different type of way because you are playing you're not playing against nick letty 10 minutes a game in the playoff or in the regular season yeah. in the playoffs right in the playoffs you're you're seeing the other team's top d right if you're a, if you're a top forward especially if you're a young one and they're gonna they're gonna match on you in a three nothing game in a way they wouldn't otherwise um so you need to be able to you need to have a bunch of different tools in your in your toolbox in a, lot, in a big arsenal. I think that Boldy's kind of got that. He's got that playmaking gene. Yeah. He's got that shiftiness. Yeah. And he's also got that grindiness. Oh, he seems like an like yeah. he seems like the type of player where anyone they put with him is going to instantly yeah. enjoy life playing with him because he's just going to get them to puck in ideal situations. And that's what we saw with Fiala last year. Yeah. So. And and another thing too is that as soon as he made the lineup uh, high 
he was he was on the second line, I think. And Dean Evison never sent him down. No. He never put him on the fourth line. Never made a healthy scratch. Well, he you know, didn't give him any reason to. Yeah, and you know, you come in instantly. You're a young player, and you can you've already got your coach's trust. That's a really good sign. All right, Cam. Well, we've go all day here. I've got a lot of notes. Yeah, they go very deep on Mikey Anderson and Martin Faravari. And a lot of players that I'm sure people have never really given much thought to. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to put a pin in it here. Our hour is up. I'll let you plug some stuff here real quick. Um, what uh, what have you been working on? Where can people check out your work? And uh, give the listeners all that stuff. Well, I've, I recently had a piece at The Athletic uh, about the Carolina Hurricanes and specifically what they do defensively to help out their goalies. So uh, that's at The Athletic for you VIPs. Um, I'm going to be doing some post-game stuff following Vancouver Canucks and Toronto Maple Leafs games this year. And uh, that's that's still TBD. And, I haven't, uh, and then coming on the PDO cast a lot, right? And then, yeah, and then just be joining you on the PDO cast. It's uh, it's it's nice to, to be able to see you. I love lot. it, man. Well, it's good yeah. to be back. Um, yeah, so the bad news is, is the, the show is up. Mm-hmm. Our, our hour is up here. We're done for today. But the good news is that you won't have to wait much longer because we're going to be back here same time, same place tomorrow, uh, 2 p.m. Pacific for an hour as we uh, transition into this new schedule with the PDO cast being on the sports and radio network. So this is a blast cam. Thanks for coming on for the first show. Thank you to all the listeners for hopping on for the ride and uh, looking forward to what's to come this season.